0: Thoughts on Pentecost. This is Dorian Moore, and this is some thoughts on Pentecost. I know this is a deviation from the Songs of the Olive Press, but I felt impressed that I should share this. I'll be going back right away to the Songs of the Olive Press, as I already have number 20 written and ready to record. So I should very quickly be able to put that up. The church calendar marks the day of Pentecost, but many churches do not do anything special about it. I have been guilty of that many times. The first passage I want to look at in these thoughts on Pentecost is John 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What does this have to do with Pentecost? For that we need to ask the question, how do we know this is true? Two things. And the scriptures tell us everything must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. First, we have the promise of Jesus right here in front of us. Note just how very emphatic Jesus is in this promise. I can think of no other promise where he puts so much into it. In your quiet time, read that passage over again and feel the power and passion Jesus is pouring into it. It must therefore be extremely important that we get it, that we believe it, that we live by it. The second thing. We know this is true, because we have been given a down payment. In Ephesians 1, verses 13-14, reading in the New King James, we read, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory in this we begin to realize how broad the day of pentecost is yes we received power that day but it is also about our down payment. We can read in John 14:1 and 3 and shout for joy because it is true, it must come to pass. He has given us a down payment. People in sales hear the promise, I will come back. But it doesn't really mean anything unless the person puts down a down payment, some kind of guarantee. And when there is a down payment, a guarantee, that changes everything, then they will surely fulfill the promise they will be back. Another thing that makes the day of Pentecost so important is that upon the Holy Spirit's coming and dwelling within us, we become the temple of god first corinthians 3 and verse 16 very easy to remember right do you not know that you are the temple of god and that the spirit of god dwells in you this is so significant and because of this The temple in Jerusalem had to be destroyed. Let me explain. God does not dwell in a temple made by man. God dwells in a temple He made. You and I were created by God. A temple made by Him. A temple purified and sanctified by His blood. From the day of Pentecost... To the destruction of the temple, more than 30 years passed. That gave enough time for those who wanted to become living temples of God to come into the kingdom. But then, the temple made by hands had to be torn down, so that it would not compete with the living temple made by God's hands. Take careful note. Adam was not spoken into existence, as everything else in God's creation. God took the dust of the earth and formed Adam with his own hands. God took the rib from Adam and with his own hands made Eve. The world, this planet, everything we see around us was spoken into existence but not you and I. We were made by God's hands. Or we could say, we are handmade. As we think about the day of Pentecost, and how the temple of God is now the hearts of men, women, and children, we need to look at one sentence that Jesus spoke. We often quickly pass over it, but it is one of the most powerful and important statements in the New Testament. We find it in Matthew, chapter 18, and verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. The implications of this is that we cannot, not ever, it is not possible for us to build a sacred space. Sacred space for us is an ever-changing thing. It can be a park bench or a kitchen table, just as well as a church building. It is important to note that a church building is only sacred space when two or three are gathered in His name. The moment it is empty, it is just a building. That is, if we are to take what Jesus said seriously. And if what I believe comes true, and I hope it doesn't, but if it does, and the hedge of protection around the so-called Western Church is taken down, and you and I will face persecution as our brothers and sisters around the world are facing, as all those that have gone before us have faced, if it should come to that, then Matthew 18 and verse 20 will become even more significant to us. We will become as ghosts. Here is adjoining of the saints, and then we're gone. And there, someone's living room becomes sacred ground, and Christ walks among His people, and then it becomes a living room again. Now I'm going to get... my main Pentecost passage in John 16. But before that, we need to think about faith. I have been trying to understand faith, and my view is that a key part of faith must be a willful surrender to God and His purposes, so that God can work through us. I have come to understand this from thinking about how A town's unbelief could affect Jesus' ability to do miracles in it. In theology, as I understand it, we know that we have a true understanding of something when it answers all questions. So if questions are left hanging or poorly answered, then we know we have not yet understood it. Which is all right, Because the Holy Spirit is guiding us into all truth. We can just put it on a shelf until the Spirit picks it up again. So our question is, how could a town's unbelief prevent God Almighty from doing miracles? It says it in Mark 6 and verse 5. He could do no mighty work there. How can this be? If we think of faith as a power unto itself, then we would have to say, this town had power over Jesus. But if we understand faith as an opening of our arms, embracing the purposes of God in our lives, then unbelief would be a closing or folding of the arms, turning one's back to God, refusing his influence and his purposes in one's life. Then, since God in his righteousness would not force anyone, then yes, a town's unbelief would prevent Jesus from doing miracles there. My idea was strengthened through Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. Let me read it for you. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. From this verse, it looks like the opposite of pride is faith. We usually think of humility as the opposite of pride. But if faith is the opposite of pride, then humility would then be the fruit of faith. So humility then would also act as evidence of our faith. To be the opposite of pride, faith must have an element then of recognizing one's weakness and an element of surrender. I am sure there is much more about faith than this, but this is where I am at right now. Holding on to that definition of faith, we can now look at John 16, verses 12 to 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me. For He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus here is introducing us to the Holy Spirit. Church, this is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, this is the Church. The first purpose of this passage is that we trust in the Holy Spirit, because If we have faith, then with the coming of the Spirit, we, in our need, willingly surrender to Him and join in the Holy Spirit's purposes. Also in this passage, we are giving a few things we need to know if we are going to join in to the Spirit's purposes. Firstly, Jesus said, He will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. He speaks. Therefore, we must be listening. And added to that, we must consider that our speaking must be in God's authority. Because that is what the Spirit is doing. Again, Jesus tells us, He, the Spirit, is glorifying Christ. If we have surrendered to His purposes, then that is what we do. And finally, He guides. He guides us into all truth. Therefore, if we are to enter into His purposes, we are to be guides. What does a guide do? Gently leads people on. A guide will always move at the speed the people he is guiding is moving at. A guide will not rush ahead. A guide will not leave people behind. How then are we to enter into the Spirit's purposes in being a guide? That is, in gentleness giving people the time they need to grow. Now these are just a few thoughts I've had on Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit. I trust that if you give the Spirit time, He will give you much, much more on this topic. So until my next podcast, the Lord bless you and keep you.